Why are they always triangles? Have you ever wondered that? Does it have something to do with it being the minimal number of points to encompass an area? One point would just be a circle, but does the Bermuda Circle not have the same sinister tone? I think it would have to be more like a pair to make sense. Two points would just make a line. I guess two points connected by out-of-this-world events and disappearances could just be called a road. Copacut Road and Hell Hollow Road come to mind, but what else can you imagine as an area lying between two points as being an area to avoid because it sounds just too creepy? Appalachia almost fits that description, but you'd have to really expand your idea of what a line is. I can't imagine trying to explain that. You know, it's the line between the Catskills of New York and the northeast corner of Mississippi. I could see Chris Farley saying that, gesturing to a map of the eastern United States and saying, not so much here, and not here, but right here, if you, <laughs> if you get that reference. And four points, well, we're not describing an entire western state here, so. Three points, that's the sweet spot. Everyone in North America, I'm sure, has heard of the Bermuda Triangle. And here in southeastern New England, we've probably all heard of the Bridgewater Triangle. But did you know how many more there are? In Australia, there is the Bass Strait Triangle, encompassing the waters that separate Victoria and Tasmania. South of Tokyo is the Devil's Sea, also known as the Dragon's Triangle. Falkirk Triangle in Scotland is so famous for UFOs, or is it UAPs now? Either way, there's so many unexplained sightings, they call it the Roswell of Scotland. And in 1977, an area in Wales became known as the Broadhaven Triangle for their UFO activity. I don't care. I'm calling them UFOs because that's what Mulder called them. David Duchovny forever. All this to say that there is another triangle that happens to be about a three-hour drive from me that was the location associated with five disappearances in five years, a mountain ghost town, sightings of a wild man, think Bigfoot but only about five feet tall, and a legend of a rock that moves around the mountain at night and slowly devours unsuspecting travelers. Join me as I prepare myself for a visit to the Bennington Triangle. In the dark forest lies a secret, told in broken stories by those who have bore witness. A monster, a murder, a long forgotten mountain town. I'm on the search for the ghosts who haunt these places, and I want you to come along. Welcome to Tales, Trails, and Taverns. Here I take an active approach to finding places that people might warn you not to go to. Haunted trails, abandoned towns, old taverns where you might catch a glimpse of a long-deceased patron. Look, you're probably not going to find me trekking through Arizona looking to have a run-in with a skinwalker, and you certainly won't catch me playing with a Ouija board, but I have spent at least the last 10 years seeking out creepy, haunted, and abandoned places to explore. So lace up your boots, grab a working flashlight, and join me as I tell the tales, hike the trails, and grab a cold pint at the local tavern. So, this week is going to be a little different, mainly in the fact that I've never been to the Bennington, Vermont, or the Bennington Triangle. But here's the caveat. I'm heading up to Stratton with some friends for a ski weekend again this year, and I plan to take a day to check out this supposedly very haunted town. Unfortunately, I have no plans to don crampons and head into the Glastonbury Wilderness, either to the ghost towns or up to the mountain, 
but I do want to see Bennington and what it has to offer. Before I get into the tales, it seems I have another review. If you are enjoying this show, make sure you leave a review. I love hearing what people think. Love the concept and show. Joe does a great job sharing stories of local haunted and spooky trails and sometimes even adding adding in little history lessons when applicable. My favorite way to end a hike is going to a local bar for a drink, so I love that's how incorporated. I love how that's incorporated into the show structure as well. I personally enjoy the shorter episodes because sometimes I can't commit to long episodes. So these are great anecdotes that I'm easily able to listen to in between tasks. Great job and keep it up. Megan from Off the Trails. Thank you, Megan. The name Bennington Triangle is attributed to author Joseph A. Citro, who wrote about the legends, myths, and the strange disappearances that happened in the area around Glastonbury Mountain in southern Vermont. The Triangle area is different depending on what source you find an image from, but ranges from the town of Bennington to the unincorporated towns of Glastonbury and Somerset, including Glastonbury Mountain and the surrounding woodlands. Now, when I was looking at the maps trying to see where I could actually get to, it seems like Glastonbury is only accessible by hiking trails. Somehow, the 2020 census had the resident count as nine. I'd like to know exactly where these people are living in this unincorporated town. Most of what I've read lists Glastonbury as a no-shit ghost town. So I'm interested to understand why this discrepancy exists. It almost sounds like the word town is used very loosely in Vermont. Maybe it's a maybe it's a French thing, I don't know. One of the reasons Mr. Citro used the term triangle in 1992 to describe the area in part was because of the strange disappearances in the area starting in 1943. Carl Herrick was on a hunting trip with his cousin Henry about 10 miles northeast of Glastonbury. The two men got separated and Carl did not return. Henry would find Carl's remains three days later and with bear prints in the area. But Carl didn't die from being mauled by a bear. Carl's body was crushed and his broken ribs had punctured his lungs. In 1945, an experienced hunter by the name of Mitty Rivers was leading a hunting party through an area known as Hell Hollow. Now, I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't go hunting in a place called Hell Hollow, but if you go back to episode 6, you might see why I'd be wary. Anyway, Mitty got separated from the group and never made it back to camp. After an extensive search, the only thing recovered was a shell that matched the rifle Mitty was carrying, but there is no way to know if it belonged to Mitty Rivers. December 1946, 18-year-old Paula Weldon headed out for a hike on long trail towards the Glastonbury Wilderness. Hitchhiking and underdressed for the weather, after nightfall, she was seen by several hikers and a local man who dropped her off a mile and a half from the trail. She was wearing a bright red coat and was said to have disappeared on the trail roughly 100 yards in front of a couple who were also on the trail. An extensive search was conducted, but nothing was ever found. In 1949, James Tedford, a World War II veteran, was returning to the veterans' home in Bennington after visiting his family in St. Albans. He was traveling by bus along with 14 other passengers. When the bus arrived to the Bennington stop, James was no longer aboard. His luggage still in the overhead rack and his personal effects still in his seat. The other passengers recall him being on the bus when it departed from the previous stop. Columbus Day, 1950. Eight-year-old Paul Jefferson was with his mother when she went to do some work at the dump. Because it was only supposed to take roughly an hour, she told Paul to stay in the truck until she was done. But when she returned to the truck, the boy was gone. Again, an extensive search was launched to find the missing person in a red coat, but nothing of young Paul was ever recovered. 
In October of the same year, Frieda Langer was on a family camping trip near the Somerset Reservoir in the Bennington Woods. Frieda and her cousin Herbert decided to go for a hike, and less than a quarter mile in, she accidentally fell into a stream. Since they were so close to camp, she decided to go back and change quickly to resume the hike. After waiting at the stream for her to return, Herbert decided to head back to camp, only to find that Frieda had never made it back. In what must have felt like a case of deja vu, local authorities searched for several weeks without finding anything. But seven months later, Frieda's body would be found in a field near the Somerset Reservoir. Strangely, it was out in the open, in a field that the authorities had searched more than once. By that time, her remains were too badly decomposed to determine what had transpired. So what happened to these people? It's become part of the local superstition that you shouldn't wear red into the woods. It also sounds like you shouldn't be too far from other people in the woods. It is the deep forest. Bears or cougars could be to blame, and that would be the natural explanation. But what if it's not natural? The first settlers to the area were told that Glastonbury Mountain was cursed. The only reason the natives went there was to bury the dead. And they also told about a legend of a man-eating stone, that if you stepped on it unknowingly, the rock would open up and devour you whole. And just to keep you on your toes, the stone was said to roam the mountain at night, and that there was no way to predict where it would strike next. For the past two centuries, there's also been reports of the Bennington Monster. Akin to Bigfoot, it was reported to have flipped over a carriage in the early 1800s. Of course, it could just as well have been a person. In 1892, a man employed at the sawmill in Glastonbury killed another man with a rock. The authorities captured him quickly, but he eventually escaped from an asylum he was held at and was reported to be living in the woods near Bennington. But if he had survived in the mid-1900s, he would have been getting far along in age. When I was looking into the lore and legends about the Bennington Triangle, there was one other piece of information that popped up. In an episode of PBS's New England Legends, Jeff Belanger mentions a New York Times article from October 17, 1897. It describes an encounter with a wild man. Jeff acknowledges the article but doesn't elaborate on it. I paused the video to read what was written and something caught my eye, a detail that I feel should have stood out more, part of a theme to the weird happenings and disappearances. It reads, A wild man of the mountains. Two young Vermont hunters terribly scared. Pownall, Vermont, October 17th. Much excitement prevails among the sportsmen of this vicinity over the story that a wild man was seen on Friday last by two young men while hunting in the mountains south of Williamstown. The young men described the creature as being about five feet high, resembling a man in form and movement, but covered all over with bright red hair, and having a long straggling beard and with very wild eyes. And I'm going to go ahead and leave you at that. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, YouTube, TikTok, all those places you uh, you find people nowadays, I suppose. Tune in next time. i got a special guest coming on. We're going to talk about the Freetown State Forest. Someone who's hiked it extensively has a lot of really good stories about it. He's going to tell us all about the stuff he's seen out there. And uh, trust me when I tell you that he's seen some shit. He's seen some wild stuff out there. I'm not going to give you anything of what he's already told me, but it's it's crazy. So tune in next time for that. Until then, get out in the woods, find your spirits.
Are you struggling with a lack of access to captivating entertainment and media? Are you faced with constant judgment and ridicule from friends and family for your inability to respond appropriately to sensitive situations? If this sounds like you, you might be suffering from being emotionally dead inside. But it's not too late to make a change. One Nothing Podcast is a newly available treatment for being dead inside. Taken just once every two weeks, One Nothing could make a world of difference. By combining carefully measured dark humor to the amazing original formula of grisly fatalities, One Nothing Podcast has successfully entertained thousands of people suffering from death inside. And with access across all podcast platforms, treatment has never been more readily available. But don't trust my word. Here's some real-world testimonials from a few of our listeners currently undergoing treatment. From consistent doses of One Nothing Podcast, my posture has greatly improved due to being kept on the edge of my seat. The One Nothing Podcast comes on, everybody be like, shut the f*** up. I'll be quiet. But when the episode's over, I'll be talking again. Oh my gosh, buddy. I used to be on so many medications for blood pressure. And then I listened to One Nothing Podcast's episode on Kitty Genovese, moved into an apartment on my own, and haven't needed it since. That one really got my blood pumping. You know, listening to One Nothing Podcast, I'm, I'm not constipated anymore. I'm just full of shit. So what's stopping you from great entertainment? One Nothing Podcast is not intended for all audiences. Listeners under 18 years of age should obtain permission from your parent or guardian before downloading. Tell your therapist if you're predisposed to whining, complaining, leading podcasts poorly, being overall combative, or being easily offended, as One Nothing Podcast might not be right for you. So stop letting great content pass you by. Talk to your therapist today to see if One Nothing Podcast is right for you.